You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hello and welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is the place to be for authentic, unfiltered conversations about health, fitness, nutrition, body image, motherhood. We basically discuss it all, and we have for the past six years, so there's plenty of content for you to listen to if you're new to the podcast. Today, I'm actually going to be renewing one of my favorite episodes in the last 300 and 35 episodes that we've aired. And it's with Sean Stevenson, all about ending sleep struggles. I always have really great conversations with Sean Stevenson. He is research-based and has written two incredible books. His first was Sleep Smarter, which we discuss in this episode. And even if you've heard this episode, it's really great to listen to again because we talk a lot about sleep hygiene, what to do if you're struggling to fall asleep, what it means if you wake up in the middle of the night. I think it's something that we all need to continually (laughs) renew um, and consider and think about and just readjust as as stress happens, as life happens, as things change, because our sleep is really disrupted easily with stress and with things like, uh, you know, pregnancy, new babies, all those things. And so we have to continually be investing in our sleep, investing in good sleep and sort of uh, rededicating ourselves to good sleep habits. So that's why I'm choosing to renew this episode today. I'm actually on vacation for the summer. This is the last uh, renewed episode that we'll do. And next week, we'll come back with a brand new episode with Steph and I. But for now, enjoy this. And uh, if you have any questions for Sean or want to talk to him more about it, I've linked to everything in the show notes, his new book and his Instagram. He still talks a lot about sleep. And he also has another book, um, which is... Eat Smarter. I'll link to that as well in the show notes. He's just such a wealth of knowledge. I highly recommend picking up his books, uh, following him on Instagram, and uh, just soaking up his knowledge. Uh, Before we dive in, this podcast is here today because of Element. You all know how much I love Element at this point. It's uh, probably the best thing that's happened to me in terms of uh, products this year, which is actually saying a lot because I do like my products. Uh, This is Element has just been a game changer for me when it comes to workouts. I used to not supplement at all with electrolytes, and I used to feel really fatigued and tired, and I would have this weird, like, hungry, depleted feeling that I couldn't satiate. And once I started taking Element, just drinking a packet, a recharge packet after my workouts, I had energy again. I stopped having dizziness and fatigue after my workouts. And now as the heat has just exploded, we're in the 90s here, it's just been a major heat wave. I've been working out in my garage and 
I don't even really notice that. Whereas last year, I would get totally smashed and I would be dizzy and just like, I had a hard time recovering from my workouts. So this has just been huge for me. It's impacted my life. My husband takes it regularly. We, anybody in our life who works out, friends from church, we're like, here, try. you have to try this. We take it with us if we're ever working out or running with friends, just because it's that good. It's one of those things that you just have to tell everybody about. So electrolytes are really, really important. Sodium is so important. Magnesium and potassium. And you lose electrolytes when you sweat and when you go to the bathroom. And you have to replace electrolytes through diet and supplementation. However, most people who eat a whole foods diet aren't going to be getting electrolytes through their diet. And so this is where the Element Recharge Packets come in. They make grab-and-go electrolyte replacement supplementation in a whole variety of flavors. You just take an Element Recharge Packet, mix it up with water, and then sip. There is no sugar, no gluten fillers, no artificial ingredients, and it's paleo-friendly. I worked in the running industry for years, never found anything like this. So when this came along, I was like, this is it. This is what I have been looking for. Um, So I totally love it. My family loves it. And I've been getting tons of feedback from you guys that you are loving it as well. I love their new brand new watermelon flavor. They have a limited edition grapefruit flavor. If you are ordering, grab a box of that because that is really, really good. It's just not, I'm so happy that they're making all these new flavors for us because they know we are all doing this weekly and sometimes daily and we just need variety it's fun it's a nice little i really look forward to it after my workout so um to grab if you if you haven't tried any of the flavors yet what you can do is get a free sample pack of element you go to drink slash well fed you have to pay for shipping it's five dollars so worth it you'll have that sample box you can try the flavors It doesn't have watermelon, so if you really just want to go for it, add a box of watermelon onto your sample free sample pack. But it will allow you to try everything, see how it works for you. And then you can go back and use our link, drinklmnt.com slash wellfed, and reorder what you want, what flavors you like. Do the buy three boxes, get one free. It's the best value. Again, that's drinklmnt.com forward slash wellfed. Now let's get to the interview. Sean Stevenson is the author of the international best-selling book, Sleep Smarter, which is on Amazon. And he's the creator of the Model Health Show, featured as the number one health podcast on iTunes with millions of listeners, downloads each year. If you haven't downloaded it, it yet, go ahead, find the Model Health Show. You'll see it. You'll see a picture of him. Go ahead and download that show because it's amazing. A graduate of the University of Missouri, St. Louis, Sean studied business, biology, and kinesiology and went on to be the founder of Advanced Integrative Health Alliance, a company that provides wellness services for individuals and organizations worldwide. Sean has been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, Fast Company, Forbes, Men's Health Magazine, The Dr. Oz Show, ESPN, and many other major media outlets. To learn more about Sean, his website is themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome, Sean. Thank you for having me. I can't believe I've done all that stuff since Y2K. <laughs> You've been busy. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? I mean, it just it doesn't even make sense. 2020. All. I don't know. It just feels like all the, you have these moments in life where all of a sudden you're like, whoa, it's been 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Jamma's totally nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I'm really excited to have you on because we're going to be talking about sleep. 
And sleep is like one of those really essential things. It's essential to human existence. But most people really struggle with it. Like we do it really badly, um, <laughs> whether it's falling asleep or staying asleep or getting enough sleep. And, and I know that my audience, this community in particular, really struggles with it because it was when we asked for questions for you, Sean, it was one of we got so many. I mean, we were flooded immediately with questions. So what made you so passionate about the topic of sleep? Because it's really complicated and it's hard to troubleshoot sometimes. I'm wondering what your personal relationship with sleep is. Yeah, I think it starts with, you just mentioned something really profound that I don't think we think about is that this is so important to humanity, right? Now, that's a big, broad statement. But for me, I'm always thinking about the big, the bigger picture. Like I like to like kind of zoom out and then get a microscopic view and stuff and then I really just sat down one day and, and after a few years of work in this in this field, and I just really thought that if if this wasn't such a necessity, we would have evolved out of it a long time ago. Because if you think about it, it, it seems like an enormous waste of time. Right. And it's just so weird as well. Like, what are you doing when you're asleep? What are you doing? You're, you're just so, laying there like a yeah. unconscious bag of potatoes. I don't know why I said that, but it's just such a strange thing. Right. And then we've got these different phases of sleep. You know, there's, you know, non-REM sleep and then we have REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, where if I lift your eyeballs, your eyes are moving back and forth. Like you're freaking the exorcist. It's such a weird thing. It right? is. It really but is. The truth is we didn't evolve out of it because it is this hyper state of growth and development is a hyper state of um, gene management, of DNA management, of brain clearing wastes, of, you know, I just mentioned REM sleep and non-REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. This is where people are taking, like leaving what they're hearing right now and learning. And this is getting consolidated into your short term memory during REM sleep primarily. And so there's a study recently and it just blew my mind. They had test subjects to take a, a memory recall test, basically every two hours for six rounds. And then they had another test group where they had them test and then retest the following day after a good night's sleep. And they performed like 20% better. They did it less often, but they slept and they were able to improve their memory, their recall simply by getting a good night's sleep. Hmm. And so for me, I personally became passionate about this subject matter when I would see this in my, in the patients that I was working with as a nutritionist. Now, again, I'm, for me, I'm a nutritionist. I'm like food first, food is everything. And I've been in this game. I've been in the, in uh, health and wellness for 18 years. And so for me, I was working with patients and we were seeing great results, right? Like I worked with a, chron a lot of chronic illnesses. Uh, we really specialized with diabetes and we would see 70 to 80% reversal rate for many of the uh, type two, di specifically, let me just be clear, type two diabetes mm -hmm. cases that would come in, you know, folks are on, um, you know, different medications, metformin, and, you know, maybe they got high blood pressure on lisinopril and, you know, um, uh, sometimes they're on insulin and we would see these incredible results. But what ironically would sometimes keep me up at night was that 20% of people who weren't getting the results everybody else was getting, right, through diet and lifestyle kind of um, movement practices, that kind of stuff. And it took me about eight years in practice before I ever thought to ask somebody about their sleep. Hmm. And what the problem with that is that for me, this was the biggest transformation point in my own life was sleep. Because when I was 20 years old, I was diagnosed with this 
um, so-called incurable spinal condition, uh, degenerative spinal disease, degenerative disc disease. And I know some listeners, they probably know somebody or maybe they're experiencing this right now. But what for me, what was so interesting is I was just 20 years old. I was a kid. This is usually reserved for folks much older. There was a time when this was generally reserved for senior citizens. And now the age that this is hitting people and causing uh, tremendous problems is less, like 40s, 30s, 20s. I was I barely turned 20 years old. I was basically even prior to that, I had broken my hip just out running at track mm. practice because my body was so brittle when I was breaking down these different forms of arthritis that I had no idea about. And I was such a uh, outstanding athlete. Ironically, you know, I ran a four, four, 40 yard dash when I like NFL times when I was just 15 years old. But my body was just breaking down from the inside out. Mm. And so during this process from age 20, incurable diagnosis to age 22, I saw four physicians. They all gave me the same bill of goods, same diagnosis, same prognosis. Like, you know, there's I'm sorry, son, there's nothing you can do. This is incurable. And this is something you're just going to have to live with. And the biggest struggle for me over those two years was sleeping because with the pain, with my, you know, breaking my hip and my uh, spine degenerating, like the pain would wake me up. It was like a nightmare. And I would, not that I was scared to go to sleep, but kind of like there was some fear there. It's like, oh man, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I know some people are experiencing that as well. It's like, you go to bed, you don't know what it's going to be like, what's going to happen. And it can become a big stressor. And so I was medicating, like I had my prescription medications, over the counter stuff. I had my little cocktail, basically knock me out. And what I would get is what, you know, is kind of referred to today as like this pseudo sleep, right? I'm not, I'm unconscious but I'm not actually going through the rejuvenative uh, sleep cycles efficiently, which we'll definitely talk about. And so I would wake up in just this huge fog and just like drag through the day. And I really even wouldn't wake up until hours and hours later, like fully like, okay, I'm, a, I'm, I'm aware that I'm aware. And this went on again for two years. It was a nightmare. But when I started to change things in my life that I knew about because I, I made the decision I'm going to get well, despite what they're saying. And this is the most important thing, by the way, like, I don't want to leave this out. Everybody listening, <laughs> when you want to change something in your life with your health specifically is what we're talking about today. It can't be, well, I'll try this. I mean, you, it can, let me not say that I'm not a, a can't kind of person, but when you say things like, well, I'll give this a try. I hope this works. It's, it's really kind of wishful thinking. And we're not really eliciting the power of our incredible brain. And I actually decided, like I decided no matter what, no matter what they're saying, I'm going to get well. You know, I'm like rock bottom and there's like a rock on top of me, right? Mm. The only thing I could do is just get up from here, you know? And so I don't want to move past that. You have to decide. And when you decide, that cuts away the option of anything else but you getting to where you want to be. And so for me, my low hanging fruits was like, changing the way that I was eating and, you know, movement. And so, but employing things with these two things made my sleep better. And once my sleep better got better, and this is a big takeaway from today as well as that if you're not sleeping, you're not healing. Mm. Once my sleep got better, I got better really, really quickly. And long story short, um, it was about nine months later, I got a scan done on my spine. My degenerative uh, disc disease had went into complete remission and there were no uh, out kind of um, blatant symptoms anymore. I was out of pain and my two ruptured disc had retracted hmm. on their own. Basically my spine looked like a normal 20 something person. And this happened in nine months. And my question for everybody should be, it was like, how is that possible? 
How is that possible? And what I had, un, and this wasn't until, until years later that I knew this, I had basically flipped on genes for degeneration, for accelerated aging. I was a very old person in the young frame, you know? And so my physician told me I had the spine of an 80 year old person, but here's what's so crazy is that I turned back the clock, right? I mm-hmm. turned on genetic programs for great bone density, for um, great health and wellness with, you know, my muscle tissue and my hormones and list goes on and on. And so for me to forget about that experience is a really important insight for everybody is that when your sleep is good, you don't even think about it because there are going to be some people listening that's like, I sleep fine. Like you'd never, but we don't realize the suffering from not sleeping well. And so for me taking all that time to finally ask people that in my practice, it was just mind blowing for myself. But when I did, the people that 20% who we couldn't get their blood sugar normalized or who couldn't get the weight off or who couldn't improve their symptoms of depression and anxiety. We finally got the results and I had to tell the world about it. So that's why I wrote the book and started talking about this on my show. And it's really created a whole movement with sleep wellness. When you were, because it's interesting because with chronic pain, it's not only physically draining, it's also mentally and emotionally draining. And you said you, you got to rock bottom and you decided, you decided I'm going to, I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to go in a different direction. What was that? What was that sort of shift for you? Because it, you know, it takes, once you're, once you're at rock bottom, it's really hard to like you know, push the rocks off of you and climb back up. So what was it for, like, you know, when Mm. you were down in the dumps, like how did you, what was it that made you say, I'm going to just, I'm going to change my mental and emotional like health here. I'm going to switch and I'm just going to go in the other direction. I literally just got the chills. Um, I I tried to try to kind of move past that part of the story and I'm so this is what we're kind of podcast we have here so we're gonna dig in but you know a lot of people don't really think about this and and I didn't think about it for many years like I had all the the cards in the world stacked against me I mean even at the time like I was uh, a single dad I was barely hanging on in college I just got kicked out of a previous college to that for you know fighting and like you know, I had good grades, but I just kept getting into trouble, you know, mm-hmm. and I lived in a really questionable environment. You know, there's tr- drug, drugs, you know, drug dealers and gangs and, you know, this whole kind of thing just even surrounding me. And so I had a lot of cards stacked against me to get to where I am, I'm at today. And so for me, what it was, and we all need this, and it's such a simple thing, but we, like, I didn't, I just looked past it, but it was after I saw the fourth physician, it was literally that same day. And I went home and I was doing my same routine and I was sitting on the edge of my bed. I'm looking at my bottle of pills and I'm about to just down them and try to knock myself out. And it just kind of just came rushing into my mind. Like all of these people who mean well, I know, I know that they, cause they even look at the look in their eyes, you know, I was like, I'm sorry, son, but there's nothing we can do. I kept putting all of my faith into them. You know, like they were going to fix me. And mm-hmm. I had these repetitive questions going on in my mind. And it just like it hit me, it just jumped out. Like I kept on asking, why me? Why me? For like two years, every yeah. day of my life. Mm-hmm. Why me? And little did I know that our brains are hardwired. It's a reflexive response is what it's called to answer the questions that we feed it. Your brain, in a, in a sense, questions are the answer. 
And so if you're asking questions like that, your brain is scanning, you know, reticular cortex, I'm sorry, reticular cortex, reticular activating system, different parts of your brain are constantly scanning your internal and external environment to find answers to the questions you're asking. And so I'm asking why me and I'm just finding more reasons why I suck, why my life is messed up and why I'm debilitated and why, you know, quote, nobody can help me. And I was also asking things like, why, why does this have to happen to me? Why me? Why won't somebody help me? What I did I do wrong? Like, yeah. What, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so as you know, like that is just feeding into. And so when I, I just jumped right out, it's kind of like jumping out on the page. And I was just like, I asked this question. I ask, what can I do to get better? Like they keep telling me that they can't help me. What can I do? Because I kept asking them what they can do. And I asked, what is it that I can do to get better? And like, I'm not saying, I mean, for me, it was instant. Like I literally just started, like stuff just started rushing into my mind. But the thing that got me there, and this is the most important part, the thing that got me to ask that question when I was talking about these things rushing into my mind and kind of jumping out on the page, it was the thought of an experience that I was having over that two years, you know, when, and I'm like down in the dumps big time, but there was this one kind of glimmer of hope that I had that I had not acknowledged. And it was my grandmother. And she had been calling me at least once a week, asking me how I'm doing, checking in on me. And just like any college kid, you know, and they're like, you know, teens and 20s. I'm just like, I'm fine, grandma. I'm fine. Like, why? <laughs> you know, but she knew I wasn't fine. I was not fine. Mm -hmm. And I had an imprint from her. You know, I lived with her from uh, kindergarten through second grade. And those years created the biggest impression in my life um, by giving me a sense of structure, of love of pride in, in learning and education and just having somebody that really cared about me and saw greatness in me. She knew, she knew, and I felt that she knew that I was going to be something great. She knew that I was going to do something really special, even though we had no evidence of that anywhere in our environment. And like, it just came rushing in, like she believes in me and I'm not believing in myself. And I just kind of have given, I threw in the towel basically when so many people in my family's hopes were in me. It wasn't just about me. It was also the people that uh, invested in me. And I just had this sense of responsibility. Like, I'm, not, I'm just not going to lay here anymore. And the thing is, everybody would have been okay with me laying there. I had all the permission. Like, my life was pretty bad and nobody would have questioned me. Like, because it does suck that your life is like this. I'm sorry. But I had to decide, like, I'm going to be something more. I'm going to do something better. I'm going to take that onto my shoulders instead of this uh, victim mentality that I was carrying, and I'm going to do something about it. So that was the big shift. It was like kind of funneling and channeling in a bigger why, you know, and people yeah. talk about that today, but I, un I did that, but I didn't know that that's what it was. And my big why was to make my grandmother proud, you know, to make my family proud. And eventually, by me shifting my perspective, asking better questions, and changing the way that I was feeding myself, uh, changing my, you know, my practices, the way that I was living my life, I became on fire. I went from this very self, self-consumed person. Um, it wasn't by choice. Like I, I, I didn't want to be a person who was just like only cared about themselves, but it was my environment. Like I kind of had to be on guard, like even in my own household, you know, with the violence, I just didn't know what I'd wake up to, what would happen. Mm. And so I became very withdrawn, but my life completely shifted and I became so focused on other people and helping 
And that was healing to my kind of self-centered nature as well, you know, because a big part of our healing physically is changing what's happening with our emotions, changing what's happening with our mind. And so I hope all that makes sense. It does. And I think it also speaks to just the importance of a support system around you um, and, and really like take like under like taking view of your why and who, who's actually valuable to you and who can support you during times and opening up to people and asking for help because I know that you were struggling individually in your own way but when we're struggling with sleep there's always something bigger going on right um, mentally emotionally and physically and if we internalize it and we don't allow ourselves we cannot give ourselves the opportunity to shift that mindset like you did. But when we shift our mindset, we really do sometimes have to rely on other people too and and be okay with asking for help and um, opening up to people and, you know, really um, pulling from other people when we don't have it, you know, because when we are at rock bottom, we have to look to other places because sometimes it's not within us. We have to look elsewhere to be able to sh- to make that shift um, inside. And so I, that's huge. Like I, I, you know, I love that, that that was your grandmother was your why, and you were almost channeling, um, you know, energy and power from her to make that shift internally. And I know a lot of people, they make those shifts because they have kids or their spouse or, you know, whomever. And so that's, um, I just think that's huge. And it's really important to, to be open with other people, um, when you are struggling. Um, okay. So you have kids now. I know you have two kids. Is that right? I have three. Oh, three kids. I have kids. two that live with me still. So my daughter's oldest. She's out of the house. <laughs> okay. So you have three kids. You are no, you, you know, all about broken sleep with kids. You have a busy career. We just talked about you moving to LA. What are some things that you do personally right now, since you know the importance of sleep, what are some things that you do right now to get consistent sleep with all that you have going on? Mm, That's such a good question. Um, I mean, and and this is real talk. It's always a little bit easier when you're coming from a place of prevention rather than trying to treat the symptom and fix things later. This just doesn't apply to our bodies. This applies to our life and our life structure. And so me coming into it, um, understanding that, okay, we got this new baby. So my youngest son is eight. And then my older two kids, like my, my older son, Jordan, who's starting his first year of college now is 19. And then my daughter's, uh, 22. And so understanding that, like, I've been through this before. I know what is happening. I know what's coming. And I know that kids have different personalities. You know, there's this quote, good sleeper, bad sleeper. But the most important thing is understanding that, number one, I know this, you know, clinically and also just like, obviously, as a, you know, a person, the baby wants to sleep, right? Mm -hmm. My baby wants to sleep. They just want their conditions met in order for them to get the thing that they need, Mm -hmm. right? The communication, there's a communication gap, obviously, right? We got like basically crying and cooing, right? Versus like our complex human language, like, just talk to me, what do you want? You know, so it's understanding (laughs) coming into this that, okay, there's going to be a communication barrier, but their intents, the things that that my my baby wants, uh, I, I just need to set these up and have a structure because here's the truth. 
a lot of times when we're coming into these situations, the parents, we are the ones bringing our bad habits into the situation of parenting. All right. So and here's what tends to happen is we finally get the kid to bed and then we want to sit and just Netflix and binge. Like, I just need some free time. This is my time. Instead of like, you need to take your ass to sleep, too. Right now. <laughs> right. Know, like this is a good opportunity so you can get up and go to battle or whatever, however you want to phrase it or go into the day. I don't like personal battle against the kid, but you're going into like a well-matched situation instead of your sleep-deprived self. Now, of course, there are situations, conditions, circumstances where things are going to come up. And of course, like they're kids, they're going to throw curveballs. They're great at curveballs. As a matter of fact, they can throw knuckleballs. Like It's just, it's crazy, <laughs> right? They'll do this, but right. it's creating consistency and rituals. And so coming into it, up until my youngest son, Braden, like he slept through the night uh, at six weeks, like six or seven weeks. He started mm-hmm. sleeping like nine or 10 hours. And what we do is, and I'm just sharing this. This is just one experience with one baby. There's many other demonstrations and stories I could share with you. And of course, like some people are like, well, that's just not for you know us, whatever. But this is what we did for this particular circumstance. And again, like I had great success with my older son as well with his routine and structure. But... We, we, my, my wife would like withhold a little bit of the milk, a little bit of food, you know, when it's like six, seven, so that when he has his last like big meal, like he's really hungry. Mm-hmm. It's not that she would like not feed the baby, but we just like so many times, you know, and I see this with, you know, a lot of parents is that the baby's upset, feed him. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know you've seen this before too. And so it's just like to just keep them distracted. But instead, like, and this is something that it took me time to do and trust and believe again, I've got a business I'm running. I've got, you know, responsibilities. I've got, you know, other kids. I had a lot going on, but those hours I would spend time with my son, like keeping him busy and playing with him. And, mm-hmm. you know, like the things that in, like I'm investing in, in our relationship, which is beautiful. Like I get so many benefits that come from that, but it's just taking the time to do it. And so when he gets his last feeding, like he, goes ham like he feasts so he's like full full and then you know we put him to bed and uh we played the same music and we would read to him every single night until he was like four <laughs> we would play put on the same music uh read to him i'm sorry read to him first and then put on the same music and you know he would go to sleep and he'd sleep n- nine to twelve hours like Mm-hmm. 95% of the nights for the, those four years. And it wasn't until he was like, had turned four that we stopped playing the music. We still read to him. But I got to the place where I literally had this thought. I was like speaking at an event and I thought about like, what if he hears his music when he's <laughs> like 22 and then he just immediately right. falls asleep? Like he's like, <laughs> right. you know, I don't know, sitting on a, a a train or something just like boom you know he just falls out when he hears the music yeah but you know it's creating those patterns and conditions you know so it's like setting up the structure ritual consistency is very important but how many of us have this for ourselves and then we want our kids to have it but we don't have it for us it starts with us very true yeah 
I just want to take a moment to remind you to go ahead and put on your Blue Blocks glasses. In the last few weeks, there have been days where I don't realize I'm not wearing my blue light blocking glasses while looking at screens. And if I don't have them on while just doing normal stuff, like working on my computer, my phone, and then at night watching a show with the kids, I am a disaster. I have horrible eye strain, headaches, nausea, and trouble sleeping. This is because blue light is incredibly stimulating and can negatively impact your circadian rhythms. In 2021, I firmly believe proactively filtering out blue light with Blue Blocks computer and their Sleep Plus glasses is an absolute necessity. The Blue Blocks computer glasses filter out all the harsh blue light we experience when looking at our screens. They're clear. They don't have a color. And then the Sleep Plus glasses block all blue and green light between 400 nanometers to 550 nanometers, which is the exact range that has been shown in clinical trials to disrupt melatonin and negatively impact our sleep. To get our special 15% discount, go to blueblocks.com slash wellfed. That's blueblocks, so B-L-U, B-L-O-X.com slash wellfed. And then our code is wellfed at checkout. These glasses are super high quality. They are comfortable and they are stylish. I don't mind wearing them all day. I don't even realize I'm wearing them. I actually have three pairs because I'm extra, but I, I wanted a spare in case I lost mine, which has actually happened and it was awful. They were actually stuck in the couch cushions. Uh, I love the look of the frames. And if you need help picking anything, anything out, just come over to our Well-Fed Women Holistic Health community on Facebook and I can help. Again, that's blueblocks.com slash wellfed. And then use our code WELLFED for 15% off and you'll get free shipping worldwide. That's something a lot of people don't think about. We put so we invest so much in making sure that our kid falls asleep and has that ritual and and knows it and we're consistent. And then for ourselves, we are just floundering. You know, we're we're kind of pushing ourselves. Maybe we're trying to get the last email out, or where you know we we just don't create that same that routine, and we don't, um, you know, we don't. But kind of have a lot of care and attention. Like I almost think of sleep as something very fragile and something that needs to be nurtured yeah. and protected. That's the word. It's it, we don't protect our own sleep. Um, it's sort of like we just expect to lay down and go to sleep, and when we don't, we're frustrated. So I do have a lot of questions about motherhood. If you want to go ahead and jump into that, because um, it yeah. sounds like you know a lot about kids and and I know I, we have a lot of women who just have a hard time recovering from that broken well, before sleep. we before we do that let me just yeah. say this really quickly uh, because again I know that a lot of things are going to come up in our minds and just real talk there do you think that I wanted to read to him every night for four years <laughs> there wasn't some nights I'm like yeah I'll throw this book out the damn window I you know. know what I mean like I'm just tired I don't want to do this right but in those moments, and of course, like if you have a team, if you have a partner, you know, like you have that team mindset, like that was my, that was my role. So 90% of the nights I put my son to sleep. That was my role. She did so much. Like this is the least I could do. Mm -hmm. So I better, but sometimes like we would like get into a little, you know, bargaining, you know, hey, can you, if you just take him tonight and then I'll do it for the next eight days. Okay. Yeah. You know, but sometimes, but I had, I had to stick to the routine even when it was tough and uh, something that helped me in that, in those moments was like, man, like 
I, I love I love that experience, especially when he you know started talking and things like that. And when he would say goodnight to me or like, I love you, daddy, you know, before he goes to sleep or, you know, I tuck him in. It's just like, ah, oh, it's the best part of my day. I know. And like, I'm willing to miss on this because, you know, I'm tired or whatever. And but even when we set up our lives a little bit better, those moments of feeling exhausted go down as well. Funny enough, you know, so I just want to throw that out there that, you know, there it's never actually perfect. There are always going to be circumstances, but it's still just sticking to the routine. Can you, even taking this a little further, can you give us an example of like what your routine looks like? Something that you've kept, like remained consistent with as you've, you know, grown and gotten older and all that kind of stuff. Like, what is it that you protect when you're, when we're talking about sleep routines? I'm going to preface this by saying there's so much stuff to do today. You know, there's like, you got, your meditation, you got your um, magnesium baths, you got your, you know, you can listen to an audio book and podcast, you can listen to a hypnosis tape, you got, there's so many things that people are telling you you should be doing, whether it's with sleep, you know, evening routine, or it's with your morning routine, there's so much stuff. And so what I like to do is just give people permission to just have one or two things that feel good to them and allow themselves to change those things. Right. You don't have to do a six itinerary in your morning routine. All right. You can if that if time allots for that, if you got, you know, a two hour opening and that's your thing, you know, for sometimes like I spent some years doing that. Right. I'd have 90 minutes in the morning and I would do my whole thing. But for me, it's first of all, putting out there into the public, uh, uh, the greater kind of public awareness that. So many people today talk about success and the importance of uh, a, a morning routine. But what I'm, I've been pushing into culture, and when you hear these words, please know that they came from me. And I, I don't want the credit. I just want the awareness of what I'm about to tell you is that I actually have the experience in this subject, and I've taught many people this. This isn't just something I just heard yesterday. But I want you to understand this. A great morning starts the night before. And we all know this, like everything kind of sucks and it's harder when we don't get a good night's sleep. And so that evening routine for me is more important than the morning routine. Hmm. And so with the evening routine, I'm just going to give a few things of sampling. But right now, my evening, just because you asked about right now, um, we just moved across the country from the Midwest, California, while writing a new book and just like there's a lot going on. You know, I got my show responsibilities uh, working on, you know, having a relationship with my wife and my and my kids, which that's the biggest priority for me. So having that time. But, you know, like it's a lot. So like a lot of times we'll just chill, you know, watch it. We just watch Angry Birds, too, by the way. Great. So good. Is it? It, it's, it's so good. And I, I like whatever with this angry man. It's so good. So good. OK. Um, I promise. Super good. Um, but you know, so we watched the movie, it's probably like nine o'clock and we're trying to get to bed maybe at 10 and my son goes to bed usually at eight 30, but he's up a little bit later. Um, but so, but from nine to 10, I shut down the electronics, shut off the TV. And this is something that's been, and I'm so glad because when I wrote this in sleep smarter, like the original version of it, like six years ago, this was what I was saying is the number one thing, but it's the hardest thing is to give yourself a screen curfew. But I think that this is the biggest um, barrier is the biggest obstacle in our society today that's influencing our sleep quality. So Harvard researchers 
affirmed that you know the the light coming from our favorite devices computers television our 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 smartphones it does in fact increase your cortisol at night let me make that clear during the day it doesn't seem to have any effect but when you're on your device at night it increases your cortisol and it suppresses melatonin so much so that approximately every hour you're on your device in the evening it suppresses melatonin for 30 minutes And so just say you're on your device for three hours in the evening after the sun goes down, melatonin is suppressed then for 90 minutes. Even if you immediately pass out, you're unconscious doing that exorcist eyeball thing, but you're not actually producing enough melatonin or adequate optimal amounts of melatonin. So you're not going to go through your sleep cycle efficiently. And so even if you get eight hours of sleep, you're still going to wake up feeling exhausted. And you're going to go through your day feeling like I got to take a nap or I got to have sugar. I got to have some caffeine, whatever, because we're not going through our sleep cycle efficiently. And my big movement is not sleep more, it's sleep better, right? Because for me, our sleep minutes are a lot like calories, right? Today, we finally are talking about the fact that it's calor- It's not just about the amount of calories. It's the quality of those calories. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not just about the amount of sleep you get. It's the quality of those sleep minutes. Hmm. And so being on your device right before you go, so many of us, and I know many people listening, and they got sleep problems, they're like, I, I can't get over it. First, last thing they do is they kiss their Instagram goodnight, you know, metaphorically, and then they go to try to go to sleep. Like they're, they get off of their device and then go to sleep. Like that's the last thing they do before they go to bed. And the first thing they often do when they get up in the morning, right? And so it's just having a better relationship with our tech devices. For me, I'm a big, I'm using tech now to do this. I'm a big fan. But I also have to put this in a, a proper perspective because for me, a lot of times what we're doing when we're on social media or watching television and watching the game, again, I love all these things, but we're watching other people be great. Hmm. We're watching other people do their thing. And instead of us participating in it, by getting off our devices, getting some great sleep to recover and then waking up and crushing our own goals. And then we can watch other people's greatness on our, on our free time. You know what I'm saying? Because we're too busy enjoying our life and, and creating and, and having good health and experiencing that. So for me, that's a big part of the evening routine is just giving myself at least 60 minutes, just a 60 minute, at least 30. Let me just say that at least 30 minutes. Oh man. That's you so know? much harder than it, than it sounds. <laughs> you make it sound so easy, but it is a challenge. Oh. I've got to, here's the secret though. I can't not leave. This is the secret because when I hear that, like if I put myself in like the old Sean perspective, I'm just like, what do you expect me to do then? Like instead of being on my phone or watching TV, right? Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. And this is just going back to like addiction management. And I think we got to have a heart to heart here. This is a safe space. So let's just do this. (laughs) My name is Sean and I'm an addict. You should be saying the same thing. You are addicted Mm -hmm. to your tech devices. You are. You're addicted. And I had a conversation with like the kind of, I guess he's like the foremost expert in this territory. He says, Dr. Robert Lustig. And he has a a interesting uh, book. It's called The Hacking of the American Mind. And talks about how easy, like the brain is hardwired to be addicted to social media. And so when we're on our social media, for example, we are driven by dopamine. Dopamine is like considered to be like this pleasure hormone, but it really, our neurotransmitter, but it really is about driving us to do things. It's about seeking and, and goal, like going to, like 
dopamine helped civilization evolve because we're always like, there's more Mm -hmm. to discover, right? And so dopamine is driving us to scroll down our feed because we got to find like, what's next? What's next? And every time we find something, we get a little bit of a hit from our opioid system. And so it's just like a little reward. And so social media is wired, is perfectly set up to just create this very strong feedback loop. Seek, find, seek, find, seek. Every time you scroll, you find something and you keep seeking. And it creates this basically like a little slot machine that's just continuously going off in your in your brain. That's right there in your phone. And so that's why we're addicted. It's not like somebody's just like, just get off your phone. And it's that simple. We got to understand, like, it's very, very attractive. Here's a secret. Just like with any other thing that we have a hard, like a quote, bad habit with. If you're telling somebody to, I don't know, um, uh, to, 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 to stop smoking and just instead just sit there and twiddle their thumbs, like they're going to be itching for that cigarette. If I tell you to get off your phone for 30 minutes before you go to bed and you just sit there twiddling your thumbs, you're going to get what I call the internet jitters. All right. You're going to be tweaking. You're just like, Sean, just let me look at one post. Just one. Just one. Just, just let me double tap once. <laughs> double tap. I'll just single. I'll single tap. I won't even. I won't even do the double. Right. And so we have to. This is the secret. We have to fill it with something of greater or equal pleasure. That's the secret. We have to fill it with something of greater or equal pleasure. Because many people who have addictive behaviors with you know, and I've again, I've worked with many of these people. Many of these people are in my family. You know, but whether it's like, you know, uh, addictive behaviors with food, when you're with family and like having a good time, we tend to that stuff tends to be moved away a little bit. For many people, anxiety uh, goes down when you're just when you're actually with people that you love and care about. For some people, of course, there's different types of anxiety, but it just as an example. Right. And so when you're when you're engaged in something, the addictive substance, the thing that we're addicted to, the attraction tends to go down. And so here's what we can implement. In that time, in that hour before bed, um, I could, instead of, you know, being on Instagram, I could listen to a, a podcast that I really love, right? Something that's super attractive. For whatever reason right now, I'm into My- Malcolm Gladwell, Revisionist History. Yeah, I've listened I love to that it. one. It's good. Yep. Love it. Yep. Okay. He's talking about chutzpah right now. Why do I want to know about that? I didn't know until I listened to Malcolm Gladwell talk about it. Anyways, uh, so you can listen to a podcast or an audio book that you will love because that doesn't require you to stare into a screen, right? Um, you can read a book, a physical book. Mm-hmm. They are they are out there still, I promise. Um, you could hang out with your significant other. Now, I know that this sounds absolutely crazy. Okay, <laughs> You guys can talk. Right. I know that this that's like such like a little house on the prairie days when people talked, but you can actually talk to each other and there's an hour there. So maybe who knows what that could lead to? You know, I (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I do know. You do know you have three of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like opportunity. Hopefully that's more entertaining than Facebook. Yeah. You know, hopefully if not, you're doing it wrong, probably. But um, got that. You've got. Uh, you can create like more of a, uh, a self-love kind of ritual where you're like taking a bath. You got the candles and maybe, you know, playing the music that you like. I don't know. Maybe you're into Luther Vandross. Maybe you're into uh, Faith Hill. I don't know. Whatever floats your boat. Right. But you're just like you're relaxing, taking that you time that you know you need, you know, uh, and maybe you're journal doing some journaling or reading in the tub. Can you picture that? That's sexy. That's beautiful. Mm. Right. 
And maybe uh, this, let me, don't give me too much started, but you know, you do your self-care program. And for me, here's my thing that I do in the evening, just to share this and then we can move on to the next thing. But part of my evening routine is also lowering the temperature in the house. Okay. Now I just posted on Instagram just today about how my wife is always cold. Okay. So my wife is from Kenya. And so she moved to the Midwest and it's just a problem. Like, I can't believe we that she stayed with me that long in the Midwest without wanting to move mm. uh, because she's just always cold. She she has a space heater by her at all times. And it's so annoying because I feel like she's closer to the space heater than me. And a space heater is like a high and low setting. And when the space heater is on high, it says the letters high, H-I. And I just feel like it's like it's trying to talk to my wife. You know what I mean? Like trying to hit on my wife. Anyways, this is my own thing. But here's (laughs) the thing. So what I do is because I know, and we've tested this, she sleeps better when it's cooler. Like we all do. We, the way the humans have evolved, no matter where we live, even if we live in a hot place, even if it's a hundred degrees, when it gets dark outside, the temperature goes down a bit. And the human body has this process of thermal regulation. And there's a natural drop in your core body temperature at night to facilitate sleep. All of us do it. But what I found, and there's and this, you know, patients that I work with, but also the clinical evidence for this is nuts. And seeing patients who have insomnia who generally run a lot hotter at night and their, their body has a difficult time dropping their core body temperature. And simply by getting these patients cooled down was able to reverse like something absurd, like 70% of symptoms of insomnia. All right. Simply by getting a cooler. And so, and I'll share a study in a bit if we can, but uh, for me, I lower the thermostat a little bit and ideally, according to the research and the experts in this field, 62 to 68 degrees is the sweet spot. And that might sound a little nippy. It doesn't have to be that cold, especially if you tend to like keep things really warm, just dropping in a few degrees, which is a great gift in our culture. Or yeah. if you're not even managing that kind of thing, like, you know, the, you know, thermostat, whatever, open a window. Right. Get a fan going, like do something to cool it off a little bit. And that's definitely going to help to improve your sleep quality. I like that. Uh, I want to summarize because this is kind of our next. It it seems like the perfect little transition here, but you really touched greatly on or in a great way. You touched on (laughs) getting ourselves ready for sleep. Those things, the rituals, a couple things that make a huge difference. Um, You know, pregnancy is hard babies are hard you know this and what what should we do because I have a lot of questions about okay I had the baby I had I have very broken sleep now my sleep is still broken I wake up constantly either and I'm either anxious and I can't get back to sleep or my body just wakes me up what kind of recommendations do you have for people who have this problem where they fall asleep fine, but then they wake up in the middle of the night and they have issues going back to sleep. Mm, yeah, that's such a, that's a big, big question. And a lot of people deal with this. And again, I've got clinical experience, but also I'll share some of what the data is showing. So it, there are many factors that can influence this. All right. Now I'm going to preface this by saying that I think that one of the big issues, well, first of all, this is still going to boil down to our psychology, all right? Because our thoughts create chemistry in our bodies, all right? 
this is like the thing that's really coming that you're going to be hearing more about in the health and wellness space is how much your thoughts create correlating chemistry in your body. All right. Just like just to give an example, if you're feeling anxious and worried, um, you know, you're but no, let me take this back. If you're thinking about all the things that you have to get done, you're thinking about, you know, you got to go and pick the kids up and you got to do this and that. And it can become overwhelming. You you feel the anxiety, but it's because you're creating chemistry in your body related to that feeling, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. If you're angry, if you're upset, you can feel that like acid burning like in your chest if you're really hot and and and, and upset. It's because your thoughts can create chemistry. So your thoughts influence your neurotransmitters, your hormones, your, you know, enzymatic processes, your thoughts control so much about you. It is crazy. And so what I'm saying, what's going to be coming is how our thoughts influence our genetic expression. And I'll just give you guys a heads up. It's coming in a big, big way as we're studying this more. It's powerful. Like, but we, it's something that's kind of intangible. So we overlook it with our kind of Newtonian based science, you know, but that's the reality. And we do this every day, whether we realize it or not. And so when we're waking up and then we have the worry and the concern and the anxiety, like I'm, I, I got to get back to sleep. We're just creating more stress, right? We're literally creating more quote daytime hormones in our bodies, you know, norepinephrine, uh, I'm sorry, epinephrine and like, uh, you know, cortisol's going up just by the stress and the worry about it. So what I'm wanting to give people permission to do, first of all, is just to relax is just to relax because there's some pretty good evidence that, you know, and I know that this is, there was like a big thing for a minute, then it kind of went away because it's people, man, humans, especially Americans, like we just like, we take stuff too far, man. You know, <laughs> if something's good, more is better. So like mm-hmm. the polyphasic sleep and like all these different, like, you know, I'll sleep for an hour and then I, uh, you know, I'll be up for an hour, then I'll sleep for 20 minutes, up for an hour, whatever, like all these different things. But it's because we found that there was some evidence that humans would sleep in two, have basically two sleeps in a night. You know, they go to bed when the sun goes down for maybe, you know, three, four hours. They'd wake up, maybe have a snack, you know, have sex, maybe, you know, I don't know, check on the the the, the kids, whatever, and then go back to sleep for another three, four hours, right? And mm-hmm. so it's kind of like this intermittent sleeper or mm-hmm. something like that. But the thing is, when people, when you hear that, you got to acknowledge, first of all, they went to sleep when the sun went down. Right. Right. We don't do that. You know what I mean? And so, well, I'll come back to that in a second. But bottom line is we have the ability to, if we wake up at night, it's okay. But the problem is when folks, evolutionarily speaking, when they would wake up, they wouldn't go get on their iPhone, you know, 200 years ago. Right. They wouldn't go and turn the TV on or whatever. You know, like we now the worst thing that you could do is pick up your phone and, you know, start looking at emails or whatever or start Mm -hmm. texting or that is like versus. okay. so what do we do about the situation? So, first of all, I want to remove some of the stigma like you are okay, and to be more relaxed and understand that it's okay to wake up. Sometimes we do. And that's okay. Like, seriously, like, so what? Sometimes there's all of us have these experiences. Sean, that is so freeing. That is so freeing because I think that so so many of us wake up in the middle of the night and we're like, something's wrong. And that just feeds into it, right? Then we're nervous that we're not going to get back to sleep. And then we're already thinking about what our day is going to be like because we're not going to get back to sleep. Like, that is so freeing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, 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 I'm i so glad that, that came across. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. And now what do we do in the interim? Well, if, if we have, if this is a concern for us, 
just edging back on what I mentioned about our ancestors, I would recommend, and this is what I've seen to work in my clinical practice, for folks that tend to have that happen, and I'm going to talk about like what some of the big issues could be in a, min- in a minute, mm-hmm. but is I would recommend them changing their sleep schedule a bit, which that's not the first thing I usually jump to. I'm not the like, you you must go to sleep early or you're going to die kind of person. It's not, that, it's not that serious. And there are people that are thriving that go to bed at you know midnight or one o'clock, but we'll come back to that in a second. But if the person is going to bed at 11, they find that they wake up at like one or two in the morning and then what I would encourage them to do is simply we'll shift their bedtime up a little bit to get more in accordance to what our ancestors would do is like, let's go to sleep early in the evening. And the funny thing is this, and here's why. Um, clinically, we would call this, and this isn't a great like kind of clinical term, but we call it money time sleep. And what we found and what the research is alluding to is that in, in the first part of the evening, so approximately, and now humans, we mess with our, our clocks depending on the season, but basically within approximately uh, from uh, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., we get a greater anabolic effect if we're sleeping during those hours, right? So some estimates show that we can have 25%, 30% greater increase in HGH secretion if we're going to sleep earlier in the evening. And it just makes sense because this is where you know, again, evolutionarily speaking, we would be going to sleep earlier. And it's during the first phase of our sleep is when we produce the most HGH for all of us, no matter what. But you produce even more if you're sleeping earlier in the evening, which for me, that just kind of goes in alignment with melatonin going up. If you're not on your devices and maybe, you know, settling down the ambient lights in your house, that kind of thing. And so you're going to get more value for the sleep that you get potentially. Okay. Mm. So that's number one. And plus, now, if you do happen to wake up, like there's more time in there for you to just kind of relax, you know, maybe do some meditation, maybe do some some of the things that I'll share and so that you can get get a few more hours of sleep afterwards. All right. So now let's look at that gap in that gap. If people are consistently waking up and a lot of people listening, they'll find that it's usually like at the same time. Right. They'll wake up about the same time each night. And that takes me to this really important understanding, like a big umbrella for this entire conversation today, is that your hormones and your body clock, your your biological rhythms, your circadian timing system, whatever you want to call it, is hardwired to work in patterns. Okay, and so there's a certain time each and every day that your body wants to fall into a pattern of producing testosterone or producing HGH or producing cortisol, producing melatonin. All of that, your body clock, and this is the big takeaway of getting like the top of this umbrella, is that melatonin is quite possibly the biggest governing force of that biological clock. And we think melatonin is about sleep. It's just a sleep hormone. That's a huge mistake. That is just like, that is such a, just, it's just a piece of what it does. All right. Melatonin, in fact, there was a study that came out uh, recently. I actually cited this in the book. Um, that melatonin has been found to actually be a very powerful fat burning type hormone as well. Hmm. Right. And so what they found was that um, uh, the production of melatonin stimulated the increased production of more brown adipose tissue. Right. Or bat brown adipose tissue. So this is the kind of fat, the type of fat that burns fat. So it functions more like muscle. And the reason that it's brown is it's so concentrated in mitochondria, which is related to energy. But you're not making it. If you're not getting melatonin production, 
and you're not getting melatonin production unless there's two prerequisites to produce melatonin. Number one, melatonin requires a cycle. It's a cyclical released hormone. And so the more you're bouncing around in your schedule, the worse is going to be at producing optimal amounts. Number two, you need a phase of darkness. Melatonin is produced when, when it's dark or it's getting dark. All right. And so this is a, a, one of the big potential solutions for some people is simply eliminating the light exposure, the light pollution that's in their bedroom, right? Or that they're exposed to prior to going to sleep. So you can produce, you can encourage your body to produce more melatonin, all right, which is going to help to regulate that entire circadian clock. And so, so for some folks, they're getting a spike of cortisol. We would call them uh, tired and wired, right? Mm-hmm. So they're clinically tired and wired, but their cortisol is too high in the evening and melatonin is too low. And then in the morning, like when they're trying to get up, their cortisol is too low and it makes it difficult to get out of bed. All right. But at night, they're just up. They're just like, I'm up. And it's hard. Like they'll be driving home from work at five and just like, oh, I'm going to sleep. They're yawning. I'm like, I'm going to sleep early tonight. And then 10 p.m. rolls around. They're just like scrolling through YouTube, you know, like <laughs> mm-hmm. watching TikToks or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> so keep these things in mind about these hormonal patterns, because this is a when people are waking up consistently at the same time, it's usually related to some type of a harm. And I don't like to throw this around lightly, but a hormone imbalance. But keep this in perspective, because a hormone imbalance does not mean that you are broken because our hormones, contrary to popular belief, many of them are relatively simple to influence. All right. Because our hormones are really driving so many of these metabolic processes in the body. They have to be influenceable. All right. So that's a lot. But I hope that all of that kind of people can grasp that as some of these like foundational understandings. Totally. Yep. My question for you, which I'm sure you get this all the time. Do you recommend supplementing with melatonin to reset some of those cycles? Ooh, this is such a good question. This is about to get kind of dirty, though. <laughs> uh, all right. So. I just mentioned the fact that melatonin is potentially the governing regulator of your entire circadian clock. It's like the big dog. Okay, Um, not saying it's the only one, but it's probably the, the biggest one. With that said, so melatonin then is affecting because your body's releasing hormones on pat on 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 patterns on cycles. So your HGH production, testosterone's getting produced at certain times, uh, progesterone's getting produced at certain times. You know, w- women know this a little bit better because of the menstrual cycle, right? We know that there's a cycle with the hormones, but we have these daily, and men have them too. And that's, you know, women would probably know like, yeah, you do. You definitely have (laughs) your patterns too. But here's the thing. Every day, your testosterone is generally wanting to kind of fall into a gap, like where it's getting a bigger secretion, progesterone, cortisol, all that stuff. Melatonin is helping to regulate all of it. And so when you go to your CVS or Whole Foods or your mom and pop shop and you pick up melatonin, please be guaranteed you're doing some personal hormone therapy. All right. You're, you're prescribing yourself to do some pretty profound hormone therapy. All right. Just because it's not a prescription doesn't mean that it's just like we can go willy nilly with it. And that's factually the only the second time I've ever said willy nilly in my life. 
Okay. I just want to make I'm that glad clear. to have witnessed it. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is what I want you to understand is that, yes, this is definitely hormone therapy. So for me, it's like, we, personally, I believe we need a little bit more. I don't necessarily need think that we need regulation. I think we need to back off on the regulation actually with some stuff, but some stuff we need to, we just need to be more mindful. We need to be a little bit more vigilant and careful in the things that we decide to take that's outside the realm of food. All right. Mm -hmm. So that's the number one. Now, with that said, do I recommend it for some people? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And so this goes back to when we talked about uh, this regulating our entire circadian rhythm um, and then understanding, number one, this is a powerful kind of driver of all our hormones. Here's where I personally and then like many of the experts in the field of sleep and sleep wellness and talking with, you know, all the big name people that you could think of, whether it's Dr. Oz or Dr. Michael Bruce, you know, the sleep wellness doctor, you know, America's sleep doctor, whatever. I've, I've talked with all these guys. I've worked with all these guys. And here's the thing. This is what we believe to be true was that if you take melatonin supplements, if you take too much and take it too often, this is because this goes back to what other hormones can potentially do is that it'll suppress the production of your body being able to do it itself. Okay. So if you take this supplement, it, it might suppress your body's ability to produce melatonin. And I just dug through the data. Like I look, man, I spent a lot of time trying to find something to affirm it, but it's just, I couldn't find it. It's not anywhere. We don't have any evidence that that's a fact. However, what we did discover is that, let me see if I can actually find the study. What we did find was that folks that tend to, is a clinical trial. Let me actually, I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. So this was published in the journal of biological rhythms. So guys, listen to this. This is really trippy. So what they discovered was that taking a melatonin supplement does not suppress your body's ability to make melatonin, but it does downregulate your body's receptor sites for melatonin. So what that means is your body can continue to make melatonin. You can keep taking your melatonin supplement, but your body won't be able to use it. It won't turn on the processes and programs related to melatonin as efficiently if you're taking melatonin too much and too often. And so with all that said, I love melatonin in spot cases or in just like micro doses if you're doing it a little bit long term, which for me, that's not my preferred method. But if you're like changing time zones, if you've, you know, you're traveling, you're on the road, maybe your sleep has been uh, maybe a little things have been chaotic for a few days. You just want to get it, you know, encourage a better, a great night's sleep for a night to kind of reset for a night or two. I love it in those instances. I keep a, um, a sublingual melatonin supplement with me in my in my bag, in my travel bag. But I don't lean on it like that's kind of the, my lower go to in that spectrum of things we could do to supplement to support our sleep. And so I just want people to be a little bit more conscientious and people that are taking that are taking melatonin. What we tend to see. Uh, with patients is that they tend to need more of it as time goes on because it's not getting that same kind of effect that it was getting before. And this is because of the downregulation of the receptor sites. Hmm. That's super interesting. Um, I appreciate you spending so much time with us. I have one more topic that I think is really important. Um, shift work, because this is a big and very real issue for our first responders, our military nurses, and, and even some, you know, retail and warehouse employees during the holidays. What do you, I mean, it, 
it's hard other than stop shift work. How can, how do people who have shift work, how can they help themselves have higher sleep, improve their sleep quality, as you would say? Yeah, I've, this is one of the things I had a lot of experience with as well. Um, and I, I mean, working, I worked at a university for many years. And so I worked with a lot of nurses, a lot of pre-med students mm. and man, like it would just really mess them up. Yeah. It would really mess them up. And our society, we, we kind of encourage our medical professionals, our police officers, our, um, you know, uh, emergency services, we encourage them to wear it as a badge of honor to wreck themselves, right? Especially mm -hmm. even in the training, right? Uh, for medical school, like, I can't tell you how many medical students, it's basically you got to try to survive. It's a survival of the fittest in a sense, because so many medical students end up getting taken down, their own health gets destroyed, you know? And if they still happen to make it through their, you know, their, their schooling, they find themselves in a in a trap of personal crisis and health problems that they're dealing with while trying to help other people. And so I'm a big advocate for a reform of the system. You know, I don't think it's broken. I think there's never worked in the first place, you know, and and now here's the data. All right. So the big uh, women's nurses study, you know, the big nurses study that everybody cites what they found, and so there's so many different things that were extracted from this study, and what they discovered was that nurses who were working overnight, who were doing shift work, had about a 30% greater incidence of breast cancer, all right? And it's just like this very interesting, like what, and always, again, like this stuff is like correlation, not causation, but that's just, it should jump right out that like, wait, how, why, what's going on here? Well, guess what? When I talked about melatonin being just one of the small things it does when we're talking about sleep, melatonin is clinically proven to be a very potent anti-cancer functioning hormone, all right? It is very effective at regulating the immune system, your NK cells, macrophages, cells that kill cancer. And guess what happens when you're up at night and you're under, you know, the... The, the LEDs and the fluorescent lights and, you know, you're, you're working and, you know, cortisol's up. Or you think you're producing melatonin? Absolutely not. And so they don't have this very potent defense that's helping to protect their bodies from cancer and from a whole host of other issues. And we see this in law enforcement. Law enforcement, we see this is number two. If we're talking about um, forms of employment, professional employment, ranking in like obesity, and heart disease and diabetes, like in the top five of all these. How? Like, why? Why are we letting this go by and not helping to do something about it? Right. We're just thrusting our people that we are entrusting with taking care of our community, but our community, the way things are set up, we're not in enforcing the, the care of them. Right. And so it's just taking a step back and understanding that. And so, what, but as a matter of fact, since we've covered so much, let me just give some solutions. Right. <laughs> But these solutions, some of these things cannot be enforced without some change to, um, you know, legislation, you know, and regulations in the workplace. And we've got some good examples of this working. And I'll talk about that in a second. But number one, let me make this clear. If for you, you want to transform your health, improve your health, improve your sleep quality, because you're starting to get a glimpse of like how many things this affects in your life, which for me, 
uh, we can did this whole episode talking about how sleep affects your body composition, your ability to burn fat. It affects your cognitive health and your ability to remember facts and figures and to be creative. We can go in so many different directions, but the bottom line is if you are like, that's my goal, I wanna be the healthiest, happiest person possible, and I'm working overnight because I, I have to, because like I just want, I need a job so I could you know take care of my family or just you know take care of my bills. If that is your goal, if it's not about service, if you're not like, I have to work the overnight shift to serve, and this is just because you're telling yourself you have to, get another job. You have to get another job. And stop telling yourself the story that you have to do this. I literally had the, one of my last clients that I worked with before I you know, stopped doing clinical work. I was speaking at an event and it was a nurse and she stood up and she was asking a question and she was telling me her whole, all the stuff she was just going through with her health and just like, and then she told me she worked the night shift. And I was like, I'm not going to work with you until you get off of the night shift. Because I was just done. I was just done. If that is your, because for her, she wasn't doing it, wasn't her passion she was doing it because she felt she had to do it. And so guess what she did? She came, she was in my office within three months. She had gotten on another shift and she actually found a job she liked more. But because she was tired, because she was telling herself the story that it's the only job that she can have right then, she just didn't keep herself open to it and she didn't go for it. You know, so I'm just going to, a little tough love, but just please understand you are so powerful to affect change. And if you're doing shift work because you have to, because of a story you're telling yourself, Get a different job. Put your focus into doing that to support your health. Now, however, if this is you're working emergency services, uh, you're a police officer, you are in uh, emergency medicine, you're working overnight at a hospital, and this is your passion, you need to be there for these people because somebody's got to do it. You have to create your own nighttime. You have to create because, again, melatonin works on cycles and darkness. You need to create a freaking bat cave at your house Mm. that you retire into. When you get off of work, you go and you go into that bat cave, get it as dark as I'm talking about. Like you can't see your hand in your in front of your face at high noon. It's so dark. Get it dark as possible so you can produce more melatonin and create a cycle. That's that. Those are two practical options. Third practical options. Bigger picture thing here is if we work together with the system, because here's what they found in the nurses study. It didn't matter if the nurses only did the shift work three days a week and then had four days off. Still, 28 to 30 percent increase in breast cancer versus not doing shift work. So it doesn't matter if you're only doing it a few days a week, then you try to get it back on a normal cycle. Your body cannot fall into balance Mm. that way. But it can fall into balance if we have months of normalcy. So my advocation is that people have cycles of... 10 months of, you know, uh, uh, seven to three or three to 11, and then two months they can work the overnight shift, but they give people a chance to reset because it is destroying our health as a society, you know? And so this is something that's very practical that we could see employed, but a lot of times they're just switching people on and off and multiple times during the week, instead of like, let's have a stint where we're doing this. And then we have a long period of time of recovery and normalcy. And I think you could live a very um, healthy, uh, vital life if we employ some of those strategies. And you said you had an example of that working. Is that already being employed in some areas that you know? Yes. So actually, it was Rob Wolf. He worked with uh, the city of Reno. Hmm. And they were seeing these, again, crazy heightened rates of diabetes and heart disease and obesity. And what they did was they employed some strategies to improve the officer's nutrition. They basically put him on a lower carb 
protocol. They Mm -hmm. improve their and they put in strategies and tactics to improve their sleep quality, which, again, it could be simply, again, if they even they're working night shift, making sure that they're sleeping in a pitch black room. And what ended up happening at the end of the study? Well, first of all, their rates of um, heart disease, blood sugar normalizing, uh, folks losing weight. But here's what happened ultimately is that they saved the city of Reno twenty two million dollars in healthcare costs. Wow. Right. Oh, my goodness. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately the folks that are kind of ultimate decision makers in these things. They're about the money. And if we could show the bottom line, like this is going to make you more money or save you money and people are going to benefit, man, like it's a win win. But we have to get this information out there in a bigger way. This may be a silly question, but I'm kind of thinking about this in terms of shift work is, is, are those rhythms that you've been telling us about are, I know that they are controlled by the sun, but it's, and specifically the, the blue light, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if we artificially have blue light during the night, and then like you said, make it a bat cave and we do that seven days a week, although, you know, most people don't, but just pretend for me that we can do that seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Would that, would our body kind of feel almost the same cycles that we would if we had the opposite schedule and we were up during the day and slept at night? Yeah. Now this is just to be clear, this is uh this will be a human experiment. Yeah. But as far as the data is concerned, like, and humans have, we've lived through some really strange circumstances and even, Oh my goodness. Like what's so cool about what I do in the position that I'm in, I get people reach out to me like the most insane, like NASA, right? Hmm. Like they'll send me stuff. Like they, there's like light bulbs. There's certain light bulbs that they use for the astronauts to try to emulate daytime and emulate nighttime because they saw astronauts, their health plummeting and them getting sicker and, and less bone density, even more so when they weren't on, when they weren't getting adequate uh, melatonin production. Right. And so like, we've got some case studies, like we could see things like this, that this would, this would work, but yes. And it's, it's not just blue light. Like there's a tremendous spectrum of lights that is very difficult to emulate. I feel personally, because nature has got some secret sauce to it, but right, right. you know, like it, there are, there's definitely things that we can do for sure. And where we're, where we're at with science, we can definitely like even the lighting that we put in the hospitals or the, you know what I'm saying? Like we can yeah. really help to affirm and, and like to help to create that, that feeling of that rhythm of a daytime and or nighttime. Yeah. I'm team reform. That would be great if we could do something, especially like, I mean, I just have so much love for like my labor and delivery nurses and my midwives that were there delivering my baby at 2:30 AM. You know what I mean? Like they were, they were there, they were my team. And so I, I would love to be able to help them in any way um, and help their health. So, Sean, so much good info. I so appreciate you spending all this time. We've gone on much longer than I anticipated, but you have so much information to share. Where can people find? Obviously, we know that everybody should go listen to the Model Health Show, which, by the way, I have to mention my chief operating officer, the woman that helps me publish the podcast and does everything for me, Laura, she loves your show so much that I think she loves it more than the Well-Fed Women podcast. So if that is not incentive enough, everybody go and download the Model Health Show in iTunes or Himalaya or wherever you're listening to podcasts because it's amazing. And my assistant, Laura, she's just she's probably cringing right now, but um, she loves well, Laura, the show. She, she just became my bestie. <laughs> she, she loves you more than me. So uh, everybody go download the show. We know we can find you 
in 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 our podcast app. Where else can we find you? And maybe what other things are you working on if you're willing to share? Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, so my home online is themodelhealthshow.com. So it's the Model Health Show podcast. You can listen to this uh, on this platform, wherever you listen to this awesome show. Uh, but my home online is themodelhealthshow.com. Uh, there we've got videos for all the episodes. Uh, I think you really enjoy hanging out in the studio with us. Uh, I just put together some pretty epic resources there. And you can also find Sleep Smarter if this is something that you want to uh, invest in a little bit more. And it's very practical. It's very fun to read. And uh, you can pick that up at bookstores anywhere or, of course, the usual places, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, all that good stuff. And uh, if you want to connect with me more and I just kind of, you know, like other people hang out, share some of the stuff I'm up to, but probably a lot more dancing than you're used to on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Sean model on Instagram. I'm, that's S H A W N model, Sean model on Instagram. And I've just gotten into Instagram like a year ago and like, it's, it's pretty cool, but I keep it in its proper perspective, you know? So, but that's a great place to, to, to follow my adventures. And this is just so fun. Like I really enjoy uh, doing this with you because like I see you're not the, the average person that's, that's doing a podcast. Like there's 700,000 podcasts out there, but like you really know your stuff. You have a direction that you want to go. You care about your audience. You deliver the goods. Like of the shows that we did, uh, the, like, I think maybe it's about a year ago, but like, it was one of my favorite episodes. It's very practical, mm. very like you've been through stuff and you're sharing your gift. And so I just really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you, Sean. I really appreciate it. Yes, I will link to Sleep Smarter in the show notes because that book is very easy to read. I will link to the um, episode that we did together, which one of my favorite interviews, too. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I will also link to your Instagram, Sean Model. I will have to say I do. I double tap a lot when I'm scrolling and I see you dancing and being with your family and you have you got good content. So everybody follow him there too. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. All right. For more from Sean, go to themodelhealthshow.com. For more from me, go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. You can follow the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Thank you guys for being here and for spending time with us. We will talk to you next week. Bye.